What's up? It's me, Isaac, your podcast host, and welcome to This Undefined, the podcast that aims to break down the social context of what you've heard and what you believe. From health, culture, business, and beyond, no topic is left off the table. So tune in as we try to make sense of how we all define our own perspectives and the people who have an opinion about it. Now, continuing on with our next series on creators. Creating is in all of us. So why not explore what that means to people keeping that spirit alive? In the next few episodes, we'll hear from a variety of artists in their perspective field, making meaningful experiences out of their life's work. Everything has an art, if you're curious enough. And sometimes if you're lucky to see past the inner critic, you get to see what that curiosity can make. The way I see it, life imitates art from its creator. So with that in mind, this is Artist Undefined with guest Hector Trend. Cool. Thank you for joining me today. So good, man. So good. Uh, first off, how's your day? How, how's how's it going over there? Yeah, it's been good. It's been uh, pretty chill. Yeah, it's kind of quiet there. Okay, nice. It's so it's six over there right now. Yeah, it's six p.m. Yeah, yeah. How's normally your evening? Like, what do you usually do towards the end of the day? Um, it depends what I'm doing. If I'm in my, if I'm in my studio, I'm usually a little bit later. So I might be there until I lose the light, really because uh, obviously if I lose a natural light it's hard it's not hard but I just don't particularly like working off of the the light strip lighting yeah um, but I'll sometimes just stay there just to like do reading or research if I'm working if I'm doing to the consultancy for the brand that I consult for the fashion brand then I'll be it, it just varies I might be home by now I might be away later from one shoot or from traveling yeah. But normally it's, it's quite chill and I'm, you know, back home at quite a reasonable hour. Okay. Uh, I, I very rarely put all nights. It's just because it doesn't work for me. Well, um, just to start off, like, I appreciate you coming on. I'm Thank you for that. It's just taking me a bit of time. I do apologize again. I was just so <laughs> busy with, with projects. I just couldn't quite find the time. Yeah, no worries. Uh, how I found you was through the band called Buxton. And I was seeing some kind of pieces you were making at the time. So clicked on you and like just looked at your work and kind of who you were. And I was like, man, he's really cool. I like this style. And so uh, well, that was the that was the project that I was on where I couldn't like find a time to get back to you. That was that was crazy. That project. It was just like there was like a lot of moving parts and it was a bit stressful trying to find the right printers. So yeah, Do that's you- the reason why. <laughs> Does it ever surprise you how much of a reach your art has when you're making it? Like I'm over here in Texas and then you're over there in London and just through like social media that kind of creates a connection. It's, it's sometimes it can be quite, quite surreal. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've spoken to a few, not in this sort of format, but obviously I've spoken to people in the States who, who've liked my work and that's still to this day quite surreal. And especially with social media, there's an enormous sort of, we're living in obviously an age where there's this enormous reach. And engagement but yeah i haven't had like i've met i've sort of been quite still quite grounded with it all i guess that's cool um so who are you let's start off there because i know who you are but let's get the listener to see who is hector trend i don't know how to, it's a tricky one to answer like where where do you want me to start where would you like me to start i find that easier how about how what's your most treasured memory about art and growing up 
I think probably I was I was awarded an art scholarship to study one of the schools when I was young. I was probably 13 at the time, and that was quite that was where I, when I started to really take it more seriously, I guess. So that's that's quite an important sort of touchstone for me. I wouldn't say I mean there's probably been more sort of holistic, more organic memories which which are equally special. But I, that's definitely like a, a sort of I don't know, like a landmark moment for me. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, I think seeing specific exhibitions in the UK. So my grandma used to take me to quite a few, and that sort of doodle or, or draw when I was there, I'd do sort of copies of, of the sculptures or the portraits I saw. Looking back in hindsight, was really important, and she was incredibly supportive of that. Despite not being herself like that creatively minded, she just had an incredible sort of appreciation of it. Um, so that was really formative. But yeah, I think. I think when I was at 13, when I had that opportunity to study it properly and, and, and I was sort of being not coerced, but guided into a more structured artistic path in, in terms of my education. I think that was quite, yeah. yeah. In the 90s, so there just never seemed to be, like I was born in 93, that whole period, there's never seemed to be any like worries. Mm. I'm sure like my parents or, you know, our parents, like we are now, there'd be like, I don't know, geopolitical um, sort of tensions and there'd be like scaremongering and they'd be t- like, they'd be having very different conversations. But I remember being incredibly happy as like, when I was little, like just playing, doing mad things with my mates. And yeah, I think those like, those put the happiest memories. And then like when I, when I was away and I was little with my, my parents and my siblings or, you know, on holidays and such. Oh, nice. So a big part of the podcast is how, uh, defining certain things and, and starting from there. So how do you define an artist? How do I define an artist? Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think it, 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 it can't really be defined by, I think, the parameters or the, the, I guess, the ideations that people do often box into, like, sales or representation or notoriety I think I just don't I don't think that's a very um comprehensive or fair or even like a sensible way to define it I think without sounding too cliche I think everyone, everyone really has that within them yeah. it's just something we it's something that you seem to forget when you're children in a way you're you're especially I think it's probably the same for you a lot of western sort of thinking and educational systems is, doesn't really gear you towards taking it into higher education so I think everyone has that like latent ability and latent sort of underpinning creativity. I think, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to, to accurately describe, but I think it's, um, yeah, it's certainly not defined by, by shows or, or as I said, notoriety, because a lot of the time I think nepotism is the, is the greatest driver of an artist's mm. success. And I just mm. don't think it's a particularly, it's completely skewed in terms of, yeah. representing a good artist but again you're seeing a good artist is hard because it's so subjective but yeah I think I think it's any, I think anyone who does anything creative in my opinion even if it's even if it doesn't seem much to someone or it's more of a hobby or they don't see themselves very good I don't think it's a good or bad I think if you're pursuing something purely for the joy of it and especially if you are if there's an, a sort of emotional drive to it because yeah. my favorite I guess movement in art is expressionism which obviously is especially abstract expressionism which you know over in the states a lot of abex artists I, I really I follow a lot today you know artists like Twombly or Motherwell or 
um, in Spain, for example, Tapias. Uh, I think they were sort of very concerned with how a painting made them feel or the, the sensations and emotions that they got from making specific marks or were just, just making the work they did. And I think that's really important. I think more so that defines an artist. If, it, if, it, if there's a sense of sort of like, yeah, an emotional sort of overture to it, I think anyone, I think anyone can, can be an artist. Can bring that out. I don't know if you agree with this, but when you think of an artist, the, at least in the most typical way, you think of kind of a painter, like that that type of medium, right? Uh, yeah. How have you seen the word artist evolve as a creator? Like now there's painter, musician, sculptor, chefs, creatives, and even now sort of influencers are kind of uh, described that way as content creators. So how have you seen that word evolve? And what do you think about that personally? It, I, I wouldn't want to gatekeep it. Like the evolution of it's natural and I think it's good. Yeah. Uh, I think some, it's funny you mentioned influencers. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, you see a lot yeah, right? of like, these influences <laughs> and stuff, and they're just, it's frustrating only in so much as, and I tell you a lot of these, like, kids on YouTube, which do cool stuff, I'm sure, but they won't be musicians, really. They'll just do music. Yeah. And they'll get views and streams, which, again, is sort of, I'm contradicting myself, because that's not what defines a good artist. But mm-hmm. still in this day and age, it is, like, a metric we value, and they'll, they'll crush any of your favourite, like, genuine artists. Mm-hmm. They'll, just, they'll do sales like you wouldn't believe or they'll do tours and you're like, yeah, this isn't fair because there's actual people who craft for it and there's people who are genuinely talented. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think it's, I'm all for like, I think the artist encompassing a lot more disciplines. I think it's yeah. beautiful and I think it's the only way to be really, but at the same time, there's people who are, I think it's sort of posturing, I think a little bit at times. Yeah. Well, a big and again, part- it comes back to the idea of nepotism because like some kids are just like, they're moving certain circles or right circles or they're the right people. <laughs> Do you think there's like a way to sort of correct that? You know, a lot of it is, you know, who you know, and then how can we create space to be able to find people outside of just the immediate circle? It's, it's a tricky one because it's like any of these systems that are so like entrenched in inequality. It's just going to be really, you'd have to tear down each and every one because they sort of, they support each other really. For example, I think nepotism in the in the creative industries only supported because of sort of unchecked, like nepotism and capitalism, let's say, or another one of these structures. And it's 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 hard because no matter how like skilled you are, if you don't have certain attributes or or financial backing, or if you don't know the right people, you just will not break into those circles. It doesn't necessarily even follow trends, which again isn't isn't necessary for a good artist, but they're the tastemakers, I guess. So what they yeah. say goes. It's just frustrating time. Yeah, well, a big part of why I created this part of my project with the Create series is to showcase kind of how artists take the tools they use to conceptualize ideas and manage perspectives to see different things. Because personally, I believe every field kind of has that same skill to manifest their work, even in the most logical careers like lawyers, doctors, engineers, all those fields to be like proficient in it or good at it. You have to master the art of what they do, right? And when when you can see it through the art and design lens, you realize how cool kind of the human experience can be because it has that in it, right? Uh, in today's world, when people are so judgmental and critical of like all these different ideas or career fields that are made, when you take the time to hear how much someone got to a certain outcome or, or invented a new field in an established industry is because they thought outside of the box, right? And creators or artists like yourself 
pave that way of thinking. Like even the way we got ge geometry and calculus, it started from the concept of one plus one and expanding on that. Then we have numbers like pi that it's like not fully defined. So it's those things pave the way for things not to be so absolute. So what are your thoughts on how art can shine a light on that perspective? I th I, yeah, I think again, going back to what I was saying about uh, when you were like, what makes an artist, I was, I was always going to almost going to say that I think you could be in the most, what's, what people would define as one of the most sort of closeted sort of like dry, for lack of a better word, or like yeah. uncreative industries. And you can do, you can, you can have problem solve in a very creative way in, or, or sort of look at something, you know, with a very artistic and sort of very um, open sort of mind and dialogue. And I think that, as you said, will lead to immense leaps forward in, in whatever field it might be. So I think I think there's always going to be elements of sort of artistry and creativity, even in those sort of those sort of industries or disciplines that are seen as more sort of um, rigorous, like rigid and sort of unyielding. I think there's always going to be a which is necessary to drive it on because you just can't, it's just, you know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting yeah. a different result. And it's like you know, if you if you were to sort of go down these very applied routes and you kept doing the same thing that was very sort of binary you just you wouldn't make progress i think great breakthroughs and you know enormous sort of leap forward in these industries or disciplines has has come with the sort of with a more left field sense of thinking i briefly remember there was a time i think it was in the uk where they were showing different uh ads about art and how like to kind of think about going to school for that or it was something around that do you remember that what how did you receive exactly. that? yeah how did you receive that I as think, an artist was it like about the uh like relearning a skill. Yes, I, they got on Boris for it. It was the whole. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was over the pandemic, I think. I yeah, it was that. like Fatima or something is a ballet dancer that she could be like a software engineer or something. Yes. Was that the, that's, were those that's, are the ones? Those are the ones. Yeah. Yeah, they were like they just got like memes like crazy. Yeah. But everyone like ripped. Everyone just ripped on them because it was just ridiculous. It was like. I guess it was just a ridiculous call for people who were in a creative field to sort of abandon that into, to do something that wouldn't have suited them. And, yeah. But it's, it's, that's just, um, I think, A, it's that generation, as you mentioned, the Prime Minister being like a child of the 50s, or I think, yeah, 55, I think he was probably born, or, or a little after, maybe 60. But it's that generation, I think, a lot of, even today's that generation, there's still that thinking that creative creative subjects are it's like a soft choice and it's not you know really um going to make any difference or it's not going to sort of you know it's just it's, it's, it's a sort of foolish gambit and I mean I remember thinking I was the only kid who left my secondary school so only kid who left my high school I think that's the right it's a high school and college isn't it yes yeah, yeah yeah so I was the only kid who left my high school the equivalent of high school uh to do art and I was then only left to do art for like 10 years previous and probably I wouldn't be surprised Having left that school, I left that school again 10 years ago. I wouldn't be surprised if I was still the only one to have left to do art because everyone went into sort of more like STEM subjects or like maths and literature. Yeah. So how did you, how did you maintain that? So a lot, like part of why those ads were probably given is because a lot of people try to get into it. It's a field where like, it's pretty, you know, people who are good at it and people who are not good at it is just a mixture and they all want to make it right. Whatever that means. So as an artist who you made it now like a career and you or or um, do you do something else? Is this like all you do? I, 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 did, I did need like but up until the 
last year was when I started working for my for the brand. Up until then, I just and even like when I was younger, I just had odd jobs to get by, purely because I, I knew I knew I only wanted to do art. That was always evident for me. That was always going to be the one thing I wanted to do and only thing I was ever going to do. I mm. have never really wanted to do anything else. So I knew to make ends meet, I just had to do other jobs because mm. at the end of the day, it supported what I wanted to do, and it was a means. These were means to an end. Um, I was incredibly sort of malcontent in those jobs. I hated them, but they were necessary. <laughs> Um, to get to just where I am now and I'm very lucky to do my work and then the brand I'm contracted to like four let's say four days a week or so but they also are very they're very sort of strict in a way on making sure I do my work they don't want me they don't want to see me for half the week because they know how important my work is to me so I'm sort of quite lucky in that respect I've got a nice balance but I'm I'm doing two very creative projects but it wasn't until I was I'm 28 now 27 so I left school, left uni at like, even at uni, I was working like at different jobs. Probably like 22 to 27, I was just doing jobs I hated just to get by. Yeah. How would you? Not just... to sort of fetishize, like, and I'm not saying I've had some sort of uh, sepia colored like struggle because I haven't at all, but it's just, yeah, I haven't always been creative. Like... There's sort of an internal dialogue as an artist where you're trying to. You know, you you have an imposter syndrome. You have good days where you're like, yeah, I like my stuff. And then all of a sudden, nah, why am I going into this? How is your mentality in trying to push yourself through to keep going as an artist? I'm like, shit, I have no other skills. I think that's one of them. Um, which is probably a bit harsh on myself. But uh, and then secondly, it's just I just know it's... I think because when it works, it works. Like when I have good days, when I have like moments of clarity, uh, when I have... A really positive sort of outlook of my work which doesn't happen that often to be perfectly honest but when it does happen it, it makes up all those days or periods where I doubted it so it's, it's well worth it in, in my eyes that's cool because I, I've had friends who kind of go into some art and it's it is very difficult but I think if you can always see past what you're trying to get break through those walls that's who I think are people like you where we're it's possible and it doesn't have to be at a great scale, but you you now are doing something for a living in that sense. And I think that's very rare to find now because people always end up just kind of switching over to different things, right? Well, yeah, the other thing is I don't really at the moment sell much work purely because I've recognized that I just don't want to compromise A, my work, B, I just do not want to sell like a lot right now. So I, I certainly don't make a living off my work, which is why I've always had like a second job, third job, wherever, wherever it may be. Mm. Because at the end of the day, like the most important thing is I don't compromise like my work. Mm-hmm. And I have a thought of like, I guess I have a thinking or way of thinking that it's probably quite antiquated in that you see any artists nowadays, they'll do print runs or they might do like merchandise. Uh, apart from the t-shirts, which the brand is, is run by a very close friend of mine. So it was slightly different, but apart from that, I just won't touch that stuff because I could, I'd, I'd give aside 10 years not to sell a piece if it meant that I could maintain my integrity or what I perceive as my integrity and, you know, control my, where my art sits and where it goes and who has it or where it's exhibited. I, I, I definitely sacrifice that for a lot of short-term gains. I just don't, I, it doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it's a bad way at all, but like, I think modern art is, is, is become more and more commodified and then sort of commercialized, which again is not a bad thing. If people want to do that, that's great. I mean, when you look at like how big NFTs were, like 
So uh, a few months ago, they sort of blew up. And obviously, people know had knew, known about them before, and they're going to be a big thing in the future, I'm sure. But that was another example. I was just wasn't. I sort of had a look at them, but at the end of the day, when push came to shove, I just like, nah, I just wasn't that interested. In mm. Describe your art, just to give the listener an idea of kind of what kind of artist you are. Because a lot of your pieces that I've seen are very simple in terms of charcoal, ink, and clay and stuff like that, from what I've seen and described. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned the mediums, because the mediums I've always found quite important. And, and mm. charcoal, for example, is arguably the first medium that, that our ancestors used or or the, the, the sort of pre-sort of proto-civilizations would have, would have joined. I think it's something really beautiful, like, I can't remember the mathematician's name, but he, he was asked what his favourite number was, and he said, my, my favourite number's three, because when asked why, he goes, well, one's important, obviously, two's important because they're, like, divisible, and it's, like, counted. He felt three was sort of, like, they didn't really need three. You just need one and two, essentially. Mm. But he felt that this, uh, I think he was a Japanese mathematician, I'll, I'll try and find his name out, but he said you just didn't need three because it was like, it almost seemed like fanciful and it seemed like it was almost devised in a sort of more poetic way, which I thought was rather beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think for me, there's something really interesting about that first sort of period or whatever it was when, you know, our ancestors decided to make or, or sort of create some sort of creativity purely for the sake of it or you know obviously if you look at like the Lasso cave paintings in France or those fertility statues from the sort of Neolithic periods they were made for reasons they obviously had reasons they were they were trying to gesture at either a deity or or trying to sort of set some sort of marker down of, of an epoch or a period of time that's been that's passed but yeah so those like materials clay and ink to an extent, but more clay and charcoal were so important because those were the first two that were already used. And I, I think there's a real beauty in that and a real sort of poetry. Uh, mm -hmm. Clay is also incredibly sort of fickle. It's very like, it's a tricky one to work with because it's, it's you can push it around. It's almost sort of, um, has a property like water in a way, but it's a lot of the sort of beauty is, is, uh, is found in how reductive you are with charcoal. So you might paint like enormous sort of canvases or paper with, with, with markings, but when you, when you start, you know, when you start exploring the process of like reductive mark making, so with a, with, with an eraser or mm -hmm. with your hands, it, that's I think when it when it becomes really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of thematically, I think my work is probably most I mentioned earlier, sort of um, abex artists, abstract expressionists. I think that's where, for me, I find the most interest, just because I just find it. I find like my emotions drive my work. And I find that when I was younger, it was, I was obsessed with making everything look pictorial and making everything trying to be photorealistic. But it just I just didn't see any sort of real beauty in that. I felt like it was incredibly restrictive. And I was more interested in, in making work based on sort of emotional um, movements in myself or emotional sort of purges or just how like something made me feel. So uh, I think that's like more, yeah, that's my work at this. Yeah. What gives birth to art for you? I think there's a sort of underpinning need to, to either communicate or sort of to sort of speak, I guess. Um, especially my work, I find it's quite like a, a language. It, it might be just trying, me trying to gesture at something that I can't ever really articulate or enunciate with, with words alone, not even in writing. It might be that so well, I might, I guess my art comes from is a need to sort of speak. 
Um, yeah. And well, human that- condition is really important. Like that, that whole emotional aspect of it is, is, is super important to me. And it's, yeah, it's arguably the reason why I make it. Yeah, a lot of, of how your art's described from what I've gathered is 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 like a ceremony of language, and it's tied to a lot of mythology. Just kind of how you've expressed, how did what drew you to that? Like, how did that start to kind of grow? I find, I find like um, I find language really interesting. Uh, I mean, I wish I could speak more. I could speak one, <laughs> so it's it's kind of ironic. I find it so interesting. Yeah, I'm not even bilingual, but um, it is a language I, I think I, too. I find, I yeah, I guess yeah. painting is a, a bit of a language, yeah. but um, I find I find I find that shared sort of mythology really interesting, and that sort of the narrative that's always in it, that like sense of storytelling to me is like incredibly sort of uh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, it sort of goes back to like again, it goes back to the idea of a community, not even a community, but like a people gathered around like a fire or a hearth, retelling stories, keeping like keeping something alive, keeping a, a story or a myth alive, for example, which is super important to their culture or to their like upbringing. It's passed down from generation to generation. My dad, my mom used to like read my, myself, my siblings, um, a ton of stuff. Like we're incredibly sort of lucky with the literature that we have when we're little. Um, I find mythology just super interesting just because the visuals, um, how visually sort of strong it is. Uh, the visual language is always tied too beautiful sort of art not always for the best reasons but um yeah i find it just fascinating that idea of storytelling narrative and uh shared sort of human comparative mythology because you see you see sort of things crop up in places like you know used to do in texas i'm in the uk we might there'll be definitely there'll be, there'll be some sort of like shared link between us you know by storytelling or there's a book i read by um this author she is, I think she's a psychotherapist. She's called uh, Dr. Clarissa Estes, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Mm. And she wrote a book called The Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mm. And oh, yeah. it's fascinating. It's She's sort of, she's got a lot of Native American, South American uh, ancestry, but then she's got this like incredible sort of Hungarian extended family and European extended family. And it's basically a collection of, of myths and sort of legends that she then breaks down and, and sort of, I guess, uncovers the meaning of them it, it's geared to it's like the understanding of the wild woman archetype and how women can reclaim that sort of wildish side of their nature having said that it didn't not for once did it alienate or isolate me being not a woman it was equally um as fascinating for me as i'm sure it would be for a woman i think a woman would take more away from it maybe but she had this incredible sort of like spider web of, of family connections from all over the globe and they shared like similar sort of stories or similar narratives and i found that really interesting yeah yeah i, I, I like sort of exploring that in my work <laughs> well art is very expressive so it's uh it's personal in that way so even how people describe art they talk about the brush strokes and how like they were probably angry at this part or the framing of what an artist does so how do you experience an image one of your making and one of something from someone else my making um a complete sort of plethora of different emotions at one point mm-hmm. from incredible sort of joy and jubilation to ones of complete sort of um yeah just complete despondency over it um sometimes i see them very like literally like this mark the mark making fundamentally isn't good enough or something's not sitting right with just how i've painted them or just how i've sculpted them i guess i i, I want to be sort of when i look at an image or especially art i want to be 
you know, I want to be sort of stopped my tracks. And it was, I think it was Rothko, it was Rothko who said that he wanted people to weep in front of his paintings. And I sort of, I, I, I do look for that, that visceral reaction. Mm. Um, it sounds a little bit like poetic again, but yeah. I, I need to be like, yeah, I want to be stopped in my tracks or I want to be, I don't want anything easy. I don't want like an easy routine. I don't want to have to, I want to have to sort of work at sort of understanding it and perhaps, perhaps never understanding it. I don't think there's any sort of shame in that. I think it's um, it's important that, yeah, there's a sort of visceral, physical sort of hammer blow mm. of, yeah, of sort of uh, sensitivity and sensation. Did you have a moment where you had that fear of showing your work? Because at that point... To this day, like... Yeah, yeah, because I feel like at that point, it's like, it's not yours anymore. Now it's yours and everyone else's to kind of interpret how they want. But what, how was that for you? Why, why do you think you've maybe had that experience? The differences in interpretation have never bothered me. Um, no. I, I actually really like hearing how other people have interpreted my work. For me, it was just like, this fundamentally isn't good work, and which is ridiculous. And it's like imposter syndrome, which I think every artist has on about oh. 100, <laughs> like <laughs> to the max. And <laughs> I guess I was always very worried about exhibiting it because, you know, I, used to very, un- I still do, I say I used to, I still do it, very unkindly compare myself to other artists or peers and think, oh, this is the work I'm doing, shit, it's not good enough, it's like, it's not going to work or, so that's, that's my only fear, but it's a ridiculous one to have because it's so subjective and it's just not important. I've got to remind myself that a lot, how, how unimportant it is of people's opinion on it. it, it all, all it needs to matter is my opinion on it. I was documenting an artist here in the States and I would go to his like studio and we would have a lot of conversations that I kind of archived. And he told me about this one painting. He was doing a gallery showing like people came up to him and like had this whole idea of what it was. And for him, he sort of was, I guess, a solitude kind of feeling to how he described it because it was still uh, something that he was sharing with the world, but then didn't, uh, they didn't understand. And so for him, at least, um, it kind of causes a lot of turmoil. Do you ever have that feeling with your work? The, the sort of turmoil the artist described is, is something I think most artists will have. I think I certainly do. And I, I don't think, I think a lot of people have romanticized that like tortured artists, but there's a David Lynch quote that I do have somewhere. Let me try and find it. Yeah. Where he speaks quite interestingly on um, on sort of suffering as a as an artist and why it isn't actually as sort of attractive as um, he said that anger and depression and sorrow are sort of beautiful things in a story but they're 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 poisons an artist mm. and and you need that clarity to create which 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 are sort of definitely like resonated with me because I think a lot of people will sort of romanticize this idea of of turmoil and and, and struggles and yeah it actually isn't as sort of I mean, a great, another great artist that I look up to, Francis Bacon, had very well documented, very well documented difficulties in his personal life, and arguably they, they did make his work stronger. So it's it's I'm I'm not always um, consistent in my <laughs> understanding of this, but I think I think David Lynch wanted to say that he thought that um, he thought that Van Gogh would be a much more prolific painter if he was happier. Which is quite interesting. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a wild thing to say because it's no one else was really saying it. Like no one else would have thought to say it. And I think, you know, he didn't think it was the pain that made him great. He think it was the painting that made him happy and great. But the act of painting, as opposed to the pain 
yeah that he was sort of going through um so i think there was there's definitely like fetishization and how that romanticized it got is, is a little it's not as honest i think it, it should be yeah. you can definitely paint for more foster spaces well just to speak tap on that a little bit um well a large part of that is you know art is therapeutic it, there's an element of like mental health there and when i've had a, a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist and yeah. uh a lot of how people talk about mental health has a little bit of a negative connotation that something's wrong. But uh, in the podcast that I did with my friend, she was saying there's a lot of positive to it because it's just making decisions and, and making decisions means that you're moving forward. And when you're in a kind of an anxiety space or depressive space, you, you sort of stop. And then that's all you see. But having mental health is also just, you took a step forward. And so all those things even though maybe what you, what comes out of making an, a piece is very tortured, that was the act to be able to kind of release that from that person, right? And I think a lot of people don't see it that way because we we sort of just like to see the negative part of of something that gives you a beautiful piece of art. Yeah, I think I, th- I think I would agree with that. Um, as you said, it's people often forget that through the act of as you said through the act of painting, it's actually probably arguably a very strong case for that set act of healing and that is that step-by-step process is as you said it's the opposite of inertia you are moving forward and yeah they'll, they'll tend to sort of focus on the very negative and you know it's 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 always a tricky one especially like for something like a 27 club that's like become like a sort of yeah. cool thing and it's like yeah. how cool is that because these these you know these yeah. artists and, and musicians and actors and that were, were incredibly sort of tortured and it's not something to be like romanticized. It's a damning mm. indictment of, of probably a lot of mental health support structures in both most yeah. developed countries, for example. Not that there's, you know, at times there's nothing more you can do. It's some people are just will, will, will inevitably, you know, go to the sort of most extreme place and it's incredibly sort of debilitating, incredibly sad. But yeah, I don't I don't really see why we should be sort of generating that those struggles in a way. I yeah. think it's the wrong thing to do yeah you you don't have an idea of why people romanticize that the reason that could be I, I, it happens a lot why, why, <laughs> because i think there's this sort of allure and there's a sort of appeal to artists um in whatever discipline they're in and because that's part that's seen as part and parcel of it sort of seen as like sexy or or attractive or like cool edgy whatever it might be and it's i think that's where it comes from it's, it's like, oh, yeah. look, at these, you know, look at the lives they live. They're incredibly sort of meteoric and incredibly um, pyrrhic in, in, in that they burnt so bright that they actually did a lot of damage to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just become, our culture seems to sort of, well, cause how old are you, sorry? 31. Okay, so yeah. we're the same like generation. I'm yeah. 28 and, you know, I think our culture, where we've grown up, it's, it's just idolized and venerated those sort of figures without yeah. much, without really going by the surface and without much thought on yeah. anything but like how sort of interesting or how commercial or how marketable they can be made because it's very draining for you as a painter people have you know oh, romanticized yeah. it right and then there's like but you don't realize what how much you're going through to make it uh he's a painter so i'm not trying to think of his name but he said he said that you know weeks go by when he, he couldn't paint and he you know he, he just couldn't stand longer he, he got fed up and he, he didn't want to talk about it and he became probably self-conscious i forgot his name but i'll, mm. I'll think of it but yeah he, yeah he said that you know he said i constantly despair at 
you know, the impossibility of my incapacity of ever accomplishing anything. But I'll always have hope that it perseveres one day. And and that hope is sort of nurtured and I think it's it's pushed on every time we have one of these little breakthroughs, every time, as you said, that step forward is taken. That sort of reminds you of what you're of what of what it can be. That reminds you of what you're working towards. But yeah, I always found that really, really important that that artist's words. It's you never, yeah, you're not meant to dwell in those spaces. They happen, but like you'll be, you'll be reminded inevitably by um, those small steps forward that oh, there's a much greater sort of calling here. For you, what kind of mental space do you find yourself in when you're creating something? I'll be lying if I did. If I said I didn't create when I was pissed off or miserable before. <laughs> yeah, um, but even like. Um, there was a canvas I worked on and I was super positive about it. It was a big canvas, like three by three meters. And I remember going to my studio and the work I'd done it before, I had like four or five layers of sort of working on it um, in different techniques. There was ink, there was, there was house paint there, there was sort of charcoal, uh, there was quite like reductive techniques on there. I'd sort of scratched back into previous surfaces and layers. And I went in one morning to my studio, incredibly sort of positive mind frame. I was, I was in a really good creative space the most positive creative space I've ever in and I completely like fucked this piece like beyond I said beyond repair at the time it's actually I'm in love with it at the moment but it's yeah positive spaces aren't always like great to work in mm-hmm. but I would so, never like want to sort of as I said before fetishize working in a, in a, in a more negative space but yeah it's, it's a strange one sometimes my my like mental states okay or like normal and i'll make great work sometimes i won't sometimes it'll be less than okay and i'll make good work other times i'll be ecstatic and overjoyed and i'll make terrible work so. uh let's talk a little bit about originality and art so i think a lot of art is repurposed ideas it's hard to find originality in things because a lot of the things is like a different version of something else but it has its own originality so what are your thoughts on on that concept no such thing as originality anymore because every artist is working on top of onto the shoulders of the artists that came before them, you know, be in the smallest ways or the, or the greatest ways. Um, it, it is hard to sort of, to, to, to break new ground. I think people become obsessive in that, that they'll push themselves to great extremes um, and it will become performative just to try and break new ground, which I think is a fallacy, really. I think it's stupid. Um, but hmm. at other times I'll see artists just on Instagram and it'll be like a sponsored post will be brought onto, my, onto one of my social media streams or whatever they might be because it's um, the algorithm store is good. And I'll look and I'll be like, this is just a straight copy. Hmm. And I mentioned earlier, Basquiat, there's a ton of artists who just tear away from him. I mean, he was inspired himself by like Pollock and Twombly, but in a very, you can definitely see how much he actually brought to like the influences that they gave him. He was completely unique in that respect. I think I can definitely, as I said, see those artists in his work, but not in a sort of um, plagiaristic way at all. But I'll see artists today. And normally they'll, they'll be, you know, our generation again, they'll be copying Basquiat or copying um, Matisse, for example, his blue nudes, those sort of styles. And it's just, you see, which again, is, these aren't really good indicators. I'm going to contribute myself again of, of like quality or, but you'll see like the comments or the dialogue that's, that's spins off of them. You'll see like everyone praising them. I'm just like, how have you not, like, have you not seen this shit before? How, how do you not know where this guy, this girl's mm-hmm. got their work from? Because mm-hmm. 
maybe, and that might be sound a little privileged that maybe people haven't had the artistic education that I have, or but galleries are free, the internet's free, you can definitely Google it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so, like, sometimes I just see oh, it's, it's like shame face, it's like how on earth are you getting away with this? Mm. Because as I said, there's nothing wrong with like taking inspiration from and building on what other artists did. Yeah. Because you're inevitably going to do that. I do that, but it's 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 making sure you do it your own way and and trying to at least bring something of yourself to it, so you can add to that sort of tapestry for the next generation, the next artist. But too often, I see people just taking like they'll take just the mark making, they'll take almost patches out of these works and just rework, like repaint them or sort of re-sculpt them. It's just, I just, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the point. So let's talk a little bit about the artist and the critic. When is your relationship with the critic most contemplating for you? I mm. think critics is the easiest job in the world. They've got no skin in the game. Any critic, any discipline, it's, it's, it's a DOS. I just, I, I'm tempted to say I don't really respect critics, which is potentially quite arrogant, but yeah, they, they, when someone's like, you know, they, whatever it might be, it might be a performance or, or music or art, when they're truly sort of in that space and occupying that space and making something and it's sort of pulling at their very sort of their very being um, or soul or whatever you might call it and they're being incredibly honest and open because I think that's the other thing about art it's an incredible honesty it's a very honest dialogue mm -hmm. or it should be an honest dialogue and someone has not that they're not within their rights to criticise it I'm just at times I'm just like who are you like <laughs> Where do you, like, how are you how are you getting off on this because mm -hmm. yeah I think as I said it's the easiest job in the world I refuse to admit it's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm gonna get some critics listening to this pissed off um, <laughs> okay I just I haven't really had those experiences yet um, and as I as I touched on earlier I think I hope that my sort of fortitude is strong enough that when it, when it comes to it I won't mind I won't care we will sort of water the ducks back but I know that I'll be a little bit like prickly probably. Mm. So how do you think of the relationship then with the artist and the viewer? Like how much do you think of the viewer? What do you want well, them like, to get from that? That's them? a much more honest and much more valuable relationship because they're not coming in with any sort of, I don't think there's, enough, there's, a, there's not a preconception to sort of find something out. I don't know a lot of time with the viewer. They're not, they don't really have an agenda. Well, I mean, they'll have agendas, but I don't think they, they're not really coming in to sort of critique the work. If they, if they, if they build that critique over, over the course of viewing the work, great, that's, that's, a, that's a natural dialogue. And that's a dialogue I think any artist would want to engender. But speaking purely from like a viewer who might sort of come to see one of your shows or see something online or wander into a gallery off the street sort of thing, I think there's a very holistic, contemplative and neutral, verging on positive relationship there. Personally, I think how do you differentiate between experiencing art and creating art? Creating my work is obviously, there's a great responsibility I feel on my shoulders and a much, the sensory experiences are much higher. And mm. um, be it sort of just a mark, you know, whatever mark I'm making or, or sort of the literature I'm reading or the narrative I'm exploring. It's, it's sort of dialed up a lot more than I'm actually creating. When I'm experiencing art, if it's through a gallery or another sort of a peer's work or, or film or something, music, there's a lot, I feel a lot less responsibility. Um, there's a sort of weight lifted off my shoulders. I can sort of enjoy it more, I guess. Yeah. For you, you mentioned that you like something that kind of stops you in your tracks. 
Yeah. Uh, what do you imagine the viewer thinking about your work? How do you want them to experience that? A bit of a Rothko, you know, I want them to weep. I'm <laughs> <laughs> the same, yeah. Well, no, I just, I just want them to have like a, a sort of a visceral reaction or it's a tricky one because I don't want to say why. It's hard to say what I want because at the end of the day, I make the work to sort of extol my emotions or to sort of expunge myself or, you know, go for something cathartic within myself. It's, it's very personal. I'm, yeah. I'm never making work to sort of really to foster a dialogue. The dialogue that will happen, I think, or, or the reaction that a viewer will get is, is really is, is really positive. But yeah, I, I'd like I'd like them to be sort of, I don't want it to be an easy ride, I guess. I'd like them to yeah. have to be, I guess, not, not appreciative because I couldn't, I couldn't really care less if you're appreciative or not because mm -hmm. that's not for me to say, but I, I'd want them to be like, open to it i guess yeah but yeah a visceral reaction would be great yeah <laughs> so i feel like especially in today's age i don't know you that that much just from what i've and even kind of researching you there's not a lot out there so i feel like uh sometimes <laughs> which i like that's kind of my style though like i like yeah. artists that are just under the radar there's a it's lot a digital footprint. yeah there's a there's an interesting story there that is different from like a commercial one there's a different path there. You, you have to go out and search for those things pretty much. But like in knowing what I know about you, you seem like you understand the variety of processes of, for people to kind of absorb information or know that they have a different experience. And that's great. But how personally, where do you fit in there? How is Hector's point of view differentiate between other artists? Because there's a vulnerability there, and I know that's kind of <laughs> that's that's very personal yeah. for people. But as an artist, that's now you what you do, and so part of that is a little bit of vulnerability because a lot of people, like I we talked earlier, like will take what you say and then just like only listen to this one line or only look at this one work. There's more depth to someone there, and so how do you how navigate through that? Yeah, I think that sort of openness and willingness to be vulnerable actually i'd like to think i sit in quite a sort of unique position in that i don't know if i do but it's quite interesting to think i might do i've never really given much thought to how i navigate it <laughs> yeah Ooh. so for you like was that a personal choice in in terms of like commercially what's out there about you or your work yeah yeah 100 yeah. um it's it was it was it was personal in that I wanted to sort of definitely con control like what I sort of what was out there about me um and not in a sort of I don't want to say I don't want to say it was too curated um there wasn't that there was probably an element of that I, I thought it'd be slicker and, and then and sort of more attractive in a way that if I was a little bit more mysterious but I'm very like protective of my work, and that's been a very, um, a very deliberate, very deliberate thing I've done because you know you mentioned the commercial sort of aspects. I just haven't wanted to be commercialized in a sense. I haven't wanted to sell a lot of my work, and I, I you know, had offers, and I've been approached, but it just for me it just makes more sense along and you know, to sort of nurture and foster and 
support my work in in the spaces no, now no, no, until no, I'm happy with it. And so I might never be happy with it until I can sort of say yes, I want to exhibit this, I want to show someone this, or I want to sort of celebrate this piece of these pieces. You know, as you touched on earlier, I'm happy to wait if it's a decade or if it's longer. I'm just I'm more than happy to sort of things of quality have no fear of time, and I think that's really important. Mm. It's always been an important little touchstone for me because. No. Yeah, they, they should never, you should never be sort of pressured into sort of selling or selling out. Not that there's anything inherently bad. I know a lot of artists who, who do that. Yeah. That's great for them. It just doesn't work for me. That's interesting you say that about time because I, I don't think I've ever thought about that and how much that can contribute to your work. Do you feel like, yeah. so do you, is that something you think about when you make something? Is that time an aspect yeah, I want, of that? I want, I want my work to to i want to see my work not that i will personally see it but i want i want it to be sort of recognized beyond me and and yeah. for a long time yeah. and i don't know if that's i don't know if that's arrogant i don't know if that's sort of uh, a ridiculous yeah. viewpoint to have it, it probably is a little bit of both but yeah i'd much rather put in work now and and, and build a sort of bedrock and a foundation for it to last well beyond me it seems like i think you know. i owe it to my work I feel like you have very good patience. Is that true? <laughs> well, I've got terrible patience, but like, because I know I have bad patience, it sort of makes me patient. Ah. It's just like, it's like a constant battle. I'm like, I'm so impatient, but I know I've got to like long it out. But yeah, yeah honestly, I've got terrible patience, <laughs> but bad patience i'm a sore loser but yeah when it comes to like school and stuff i'm the worst those are my two like great character flaws well based off what you're saying uh do you realize that you have the skills to kind of repurpose your love for art into other things that you currently work like you with this brand you you sort of created those aspects in a different ball game that's a little bit more commercial than what you would normally do for yourself right I, th I think I do. Yeah, I do understand. I have those skills. And I think, and this is probably me speaking this way. I'll speak with the most utmost bravado. I'll never speak like this again. But like, I know that I'm valuable in that in that sector. I know that I'm good at what I do there. Partly because I just don't think many creators in those industries are that like creatively minded or have a creative sort of outlet that I'm very lucky to have. So I think I can bring a very unique perspective to that. So there's more, I have more of a swagger in that side of things, for lack of a better sort of uh, terminology. I, I, I'm a little bit more sort of sure of myself. Mm. Also, there's a less responsibility on me because at the end of the day, they can say yes or no to any ideas I pitch, stuff lands, stuff misses. It, it's, it's, that's just the nature of the industry. With, with my work, I'm, I'm a lot more sort of self-conscious and a lot more like nervous. <laughs> yeah. Mm. What sort of advice would you give someone that's trying to find how they can make their passion fit in something else in the meantime to kind of propel them forward? I think I would say this. Yeah, I'd say there's nothing wrong with doing something that isn't creative to support what you want to yeah. do. Because at the end of the day, if you're serious about painting or sculpting or music or acting, mm -hmm. you will do whatever it takes to make that work. You just will. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I used to work on the door in Shoreditch, which is an area in East London for three and a half years, like night shifts, like 5pm to 2am. Yeah. It was never like, there was never any trouble, there was never any danger, but like, yeah. it wasn't a glamorous job. 
also sort of glorified balancer for three and a half years. So, mm-hmm. but every shift and every shitty cold evening I stood outside, I knew that it was building towards something great mm-hmm. or what I hoped would be something great. So I think my advice would be if, if, if you can, if you can transfer your skills from a creative, your creative discipline into another creative discipline, amazing, do it because sometimes you're so myopic, I'm myopic in my studio that I need another creative outlet. And the days I spend with the brand are the perfect sort of decompression I needed. But if, if, if you can't, or if, if it's not quite there at the moment, then just there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong. Never let anyone belittle you for doing something that, to, to sort of support something, a dream you're chasing. Because again, this culture we live in, it's very sort of hyper sort of obsessed with consumerism and, and complete sort of insincerity in, in, in how, how we are and, you have people more concerned with how they look, how they appear as opposed to their sort of actual being. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to borrow a sort of like terminology from America, like people flex really hard. And it's like, for what reason? There's no, there's no reason to like, you shouldn't be humbled if you're doing something that, that supports a passion of yours. Because again, it's just, well, it's a bit fucking classist for a start. You often get mm-hmm. people looking down on those sort of jobs. It's like, there's nothing wrong with those jobs. They're, Hard hardworking people, millions of hardworking people around the world, and if you have to do them to support your your passion, then great. And there will be opportunities. Like I met some really interesting people when I worked on the door, and that did help me probably mm-hmm. in realizing okay, I, I can move into different creative spaces. I won't have to do this forever. Yeah. But even if I was still doing an hour, as long as I was painting, I'd be fine. I agree. So for me, my first passion was film and video, but I took a turn. Uh, because what I thought at the time was, all right, I'm going to finance my own film and kind of production stuff. So I'm going to go to school. For some reason, massage therapy popped in my head. And then I ended up having a passion for fitness and health and wellness and all of that. So I, I took a turn for a while. And so for like a good 11 years or 10 years, I was in that industry. But within there, I kind of put to the side, my creative part, but thinking back, that's so I sort of started to see the art in what I was doing. And so that kind of brought me back to where I am today. And I've said this to personal trainers because personal training doesn't, is not a, a very lucrative job to have a like insurance and all these different things that other jobs might have. So it lends itself to sort of leaving the industry because you can't do that forever, right? Uh, I've met a lot of passionate trainers and and fitness professionals that I'm like, you're meant to do this because you're good at it, but they sort of get disillusioned or the industry's not set up for them to maintain that. And I always tell them, if you really want this, you'll find a way to make it work for you. And I think that comes from the artist side of me because I keep seeing the possibilities. Based off your story, you kind of have that same mentality in trying to like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm using these skills to kind of get me back to doing what I love to do. So can you speak a little bit about that process for you? Because it it happens to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, the, the process of like falling out of that or falling away from your sort of passion. I mean, yeah, there was... There was a good two years where I didn't paint at all. The, but there was, as you said, there was, you know, from your experience, you had that sort of transferable skill from your creativity that you knew that it was, you just had to work whatever you could to get back onto that, mm-hmm. into that sort of creative field. You just knew you could make it work if you really wanted to. Um, there wasn't much more to it than that. You know, I just knew that it, it would come. I, I knew that I just had to be patient. The studio would come. I would get back painting, I would get back drawing. And it did. And I got 
it wasn't actually until recently, it was, in, it was the beginning of the pandemic, July 2020, I got my new suit. And that's when I really started painting again. Mm. But as, as, in terms of like a, that process, I think there wasn't much more to it than just understanding and appreciating that's the only thing I wanted to do. That was the be all and end all. I, I didn't want to work in anything else. I mean, as you said, it's kind of, it's kind of spooky sometimes when you don't have like job security. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or you know you're not following that sort of atypical like nine to five let's say but have you ever like seen like your mates now do it soul destroying mm. i couldn't imagine i could couldn't do it genuinely couldn't do it yeah i know that yeah. now like yeah i'm yeah. sure your friends have, have, have the same isn't that? that's not to like there's nothing against that's not to belittle that sort of if that's your calling wonderful they are incredibly important to sort of every aspect of like life and the economy wherever it might be if you were to look at it like that but for me i just can't do it a large part of art is helping people think differently right and that's a big part of why i I like to sort of still have my foot in art as i'm doing other things is because i think that mentality helps people kind of learn that about themselves right and so for you how is the process discovering yourself as an artist for that i guess in terms of more like thinking and stuff Mm -hmm. um like, is it something you think about? Like, do you do you go into a, uh, it doesn't have to be like a piece that you're working on, but in anything you do, do you go in with the intent of making people look at things differently so that they can also do that for themselves when they go into whatever they're well, doing? Well, I mean, the, the process that sort of really invigorated me when I was younger was, was my parents had always like, had the ability to get me to read or I could always put books in front of me or could take me to galleries, film, music, whatever it might be. And I think that was invaluable in teaching to think differently. Um, mm. And it was just, as, as anyone can attest to, it just opens your, your whole sort of mind and up to sort, of, to sort of different ways of seeing and different ways of thinking. Um, when I approach my work, I don't really approach it trying to push people into that space because mm. I think it has to happen naturally, mm. as it did for me. I didn't go into gallery expecting to be changed. I didn't go into like a film expecting to come out differently. Mm. It just happened. It just, it, it was just, you know, a combination of the sensory experience I might have had listening to some music or the sort of very visual experience I had looking at some art that I loved. It almost like opened up new sort of pathways, neural pathways in my mind in a way. It, mm. it sort of unlocked different parts of me, I guess. But I, I would never really seek to, to push that narrative too much in my work because I think if you chase that and you want to make work that fundamentally changes people purely for that reason, I don't think you ever really will. I think if you're just incredibly honest, and it's, it's really cliched to say that, and it's only cliched, I think it's true, but like if you do what you love, it will be your best work. And I think if you do your best work, it will inevitably change people. If you're honest and you're completely unbridled and brave and vulnerable and, you know, uncaring what other, anyone else might think in the, in the sense that you're just making work for yourself or to convey some sort of, whatever sort of motive drives your work, then it'll always, it'll always open someone up to, to a different way of thinking. You're also into fitness as well, right? I think even with the connection yeah. with sportswear. I played like a good level of sports, school, university, uh, I played like football, rugby, uh, hockey, and bits. And the, my friends around now are all sort of into fitness or work in fitness. Mm-hmm. And even the brand was sort of cold, drew inspiration from the brand, from like the sort of aesthetic of, 
60s and 70s bodybuilding and the sort of fabric they use, for example, and, and just the cuts of the fabric. Um, it's not like sportswear, but we all are very active. Another friend of ours, AD, has like a, a, a running sort of, not running, but like sports calisthenics like club, which he um, has had for years. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll all train together, we'll run together, uh, swim. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. I, I think, yeah. well, yeah, I do. I say I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> At times I hate the gym, but it's, it's become a habit. I, I've made it into a habit over the last sort of 10 years. So. Yeah. Is that important for your process in creating something like the physical aspects, letting things out? I'll train first thing in the morning if I train and it will be early and it will just be very sort of invigorating. So I feel mm -hmm. like I feel much better. If I don't, it'll be hanging over me all day. If I don't train, for example, I'd now be grumpy. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> what is that relationship with stress and creating? I stress emotionally, but that's going back to like what we touched on. That's just, that's just imposter syndrome. That's just me worrying about mm. things that I've touched on into that I, that I shouldn't worry about. Mm -hmm. um, it's me worrying about what people might think is ridiculous or me worrying about how it would, you know, received by a viewer. And I think, yeah, that's just ridiculous. And as I sort of said, I've contradicted myself many times, I'm sure, but yeah, it's, it's, I shouldn't <laughs> be stressing about that, but I do. You say you contradict yourself, but there is nuances to things. That's why it feels that way, right? Because it's kind of like... Yeah, ah, it's it's like, there is sort of, as you said, nuance is perfect way to put it. You feel yeah, like... I've said stuff, but yeah. I believe other shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like that's why it's important for people to just do it so that they understand that, right? Yeah. I think mean, that's the best way to learn. I think mean, it's the best way to understand, as you said as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you've summated it perfectly there. It's the only way that like lived experience is the only yeah. way to understand. Because yeah. it's not as binary, as polarized as people have it. And I think, again, to, like not to get bogged down in the sort of political spectrums or the cultural wars that people like to sort of speak about, but stuff isn't just, just fundamentally isn't as binary. Yeah. It's Did not like, it's not as, as, it's not as partisan as people have it have it sort of um marked out or laid out as is a lot more nuanced and you can fundamentally well people's opinions change people's thinking changes it can change it can be changed it's always evolving it's you know even in moments of difficulty you're learning something so yeah it's ridiculous yeah. to think that it can be split down the middle especially yeah, nowadays people are just very have very strong opinions which that's a given right that just happens throughout time but it's it boggles me how much they have to say about something that they know nothing about or they don't know that person. I don't like to be combative because like people have their own reasons to why they're the way they are. And so for me, I understand that, that I'm like, I don't think you're actually bothered by what they're doing. I think there's something else. And it goes back to the whole point of do something instead of having these external thoughts coming from your subcon subconscious, do something then. If, it, if you're that passionate about it, then take the step and maybe learn that or help or contribute in some way. And right now we're very stuck in this like us versus them mentality and it doesn't propel that conversation forward. How do you experience that as an artist? I'm sure you have your own opinions about it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think, for example, like everything we saw last summer with all the, all the marches uh, uh, for like the killings in America and yeah, injustice in the UK and all the way through to this summer. I mean, it's not going to stop this summer. It's going to continue <laughs> because people are fucking stupid. But um, I don't really have these polarizing discourse or, or debates or 
I just I love to be combative, but I don't really have them ever in like the art with regards to artists. But I feel artists have always, always been sort of agents of social change or been mm-hmm. around social change. Um, art has been a vehicle for social sort of change and, and class or racial movement. So for me to sort of tap out and not have an opinion on these things would be disingenuous and it's not something I'd ever do. Um, I fundamentally don't really care about like, if I, if I personally up and someone's like, oh, you got to like protect your like brand or whatever, I couldn't give it, I couldn't give it down really because I'm not going to not speak on these matters. Like the, the, the soccer team, the football team, I don't get killed for saying soccer. <laughs> I know. Um, I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know what to say. The football team thing was bad because it's, it was, as I think many of my friends share a belief, I'm glad we didn't win. The fans that jumping in the players' backs in the most sort of vitriolic and most abhorrent way did not deserve to see those same players bring home a trophy. They just didn't. And I'm, I'm really glad that we didn't win because... Well, I am, but at the same time, the, the fact that we lost did drive a lot of that hatred, but it was always there. It wasn't just because we lost. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's really difficult to see because it's something I'm never going to experience for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost more frustrating the sort of third, the sort of third wave or second wave of sort of commentary that accompanies it. It's like, so you get these people saying these awful things, like derogatory, deeply racist like, remarks, and you get these other people coming in saying, oh, just part and parcel has got like thick skin I'm just like you, you're mm. saying that you've never like you've got mm. no skin in the game you've never experienced it that's why you're saying yeah. that you know I wouldn't dream of saying that because I just couldn't imagine like what that would be like and that, for me that's almost more infuriating just like these people who say oh it's just um, a few people the minorities and not everyone's like that and I was like well that's just not true yeah it's fundamentally not true otherwise we wouldn't be having these problems with a minority I think that's a that's a huge benefit to being an artist because you you're able to sort of zoom out and see the bigger picture of of all those things being in conversation at the same time and then kind of inserting yourself. I mean, like you said, artists sort of help create that social change because they're looking at it far away so that they can then whatever they do personally contribute again, taking a step to do something about it to propel a conversation forward. It's definitely like there's definitely opportunity for artists to move that comes forward i wouldn't say i need to be an artist to see it though i think yeah. any r- rational thinking reasonable human being should be able to insert himself into that conversation and help move it forward and fundamentally not enough people do not enough you know i don't do enough for sure mm-hmm. but not enough people do and creativity is a big part of it and that's how i've inserted that back into my life because i want to have these conversations with people who are creatives because a lot of the reason why why we do things is because being creative is our why, right? Whatever that is to you. It doesn't have to be necessarily a, a musician or, or artist. That mentality, there's a lot to learn from that. And everything that comes from why we do things is how we look, define health. And so from there, everything else kind of trickles down. And in the industry that I'm in now currently with fitness, uh, there, there isn't that perspective of the creative to see things that way because it's when we sit down with someone to hear their goals we're trying to figure out their why pretty much like why do you want to work out or why do you want to lose this weight and those are questions that as a creative we ask ourselves constantly all the time right um so 
what would be your contribution to that mentality for people to understand? Because like just everything we've talked about, how, how would you kind of conceptualize a more concrete way of, of sharing that with people? What would be your advice on that? I know I threw a lot at you. <laughs> just, yeah, just, it's, that's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting um, sort of dynamic and abstract. Um, how would I conceptualize it? What if I give you like a, a, a scenario? Yeah. yeah. So I have this, I wrote down this question just in case I, I, we came across this. So how do you see a blank space? Like when you're about to start, where do you go? Because I, I, I'm trying to make it, I guess, symbolic in that way, because if it helps at all, like if you see a blank space, like that's kind of you going into whatever situation, scenario. I mean, you don't know, you're not equipped, right? You're not given all the questions or you're not given all the information. So you're diving in, right? And so you as a person, what does that look like? Um, <laughs> I guess the sense of opportunity, I think, when confronted with that space. Mm. Despite not, as you said, not knowing the, the, the sort of, not having a bearing um, or not knowing the right questions or answers. I think there's an immense opportunity there. Um, even when I look at like a, a blank space, like a blank canvas or a blank, a blank papers, within those sort of four walls or four borders, you know, I could I could sort of create anything I want really in that in that space. Mm. I think that's quite I think that's quite a special and quite a unique sort of position to find yourself in. Like, what are some questions you you ask yourself, whether it be your art or how you did in an interview or you had a conversation with somebody, whatever. The biggest question. I ask myself, um, what, what, I guess, what is, the, what is it motivated by? What's the motivation behind this? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's, for me, it's really important to understand that driving sort of thrust, what the underpinning message of feeling, more feeling. There's like Ivar Bergman quote, which is, uh, intuition is a spear thrown into darkness and, and knowledge is going in to find it, I think. And I, I find that's quite, characteristic of my process with a lot of things, especially my creativity, based on a sort of intuition or based on a feeling. And it will be completely reflexive, sort of visceral and very sort of knee-jerk in a way. But it's it's always the right thing to do. It's I've never I think the more I spend, the more time I spend stagnating, the more time I spend overthinking it, overthinking it is a killer for me. It's where it sort of starts to fall off. So I need that sort of intuition as a sphere thrown into darkness and I just I follow it in, I guess and that's when I'm starting to sort of build the right questions and find the right answers mm. but it all starts with that initial thrust into the unknown you mentioned you you tend to overthink a lot how do you recover from that it's, it's sort of a, it's a it's 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 a, there's a practice in no I'm not very really good at it but it's um, practicing <laughs> sort of on, on sort of shacking and unburdening yourself from my expectations, especially other people's expectations. I think that's what overthinking, my overthinking manifests with this. It's worrying or burdening myself with how it's going to make someone else feel. Not to think, not to suggest that I act without care, without making, without taking other people into consideration. But I think I've got to realise that initially there's no sort of wrong decisions, there's no wrong marks to be made. Starting to stop sort of worrying about that aspect and just let it pass through me like water, like just go through me. Because mm-hmm. the more you fight against that current, the more I fight against that and, and complicate myself with everything, the more I struggle. So I've just got to, yeah. Do you like when people talk about you about your work? No, no, 
No, and, or, and want you to talk about it. Yeah, when someone asks what my world means, it's the most traumatic <laughs> and then difficult question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you 100%. get out of it? <laughs> How do you navigate that? Has anyone asked you? I guess. I guess I'm sure. Yeah, people do ask me. I just normally, I mean, I normally just come back to this, which isn't. It's not a fallacy. It's not me lying, but it's certainly not me lying. This just the idea that that it's it's very much motivated by my sort of emotional sensibilities based on like how how something made me feel as opposed to anything else. And that's the sort of cookie cutter answer I give out most of the time. But I find yeah, as I said to you earlier, I, I can't work on watching me. I can't I can't be in the same space as someone so like talking about it is, is is again it's sort of that it's in that whole ballpark and it, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. I find it very difficult. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about the brand that you work with. How did that relationship start? Uh, down in the southwest of England. And I did my foundation course, which is like a, a year you do normally before a creative degree, which just, as the name suggests, lays quite a good foundation for your, for your degree. So it just introduces you to disciplines of art you might not have done at, at high school, at, at school or college. Um, mm. So, for instance, I've never done like, I've never worked with fabric. I've never done any machining before i've never really done any painting outside of sort of traditional acrylic so it's sort of introduced to a few other bits over like a 30-week period and then um you go on to choose a degree i I chose illustration which was a mistake because i thought with my uh head as opposed to my heart i thought this is how i'll make money in art this is how i'll just keep it like a paycheck steady paycheck coming in but hated it it wasn't for me just found myself bunking off most like days and just going to see Cole and see what he was doing. So we became very close. Um, as I said, I sort of illustrated some of his first designs. I'm a, he only had his final catwalk show. I did all the fashion illustrations for it, which is the only aspect of illustration I enjoyed. And then we both moved to London relatively similar times, about 2017. He was initially sort of working, making minimal sort of clothing at the bottom of his bed and I was sketching at the bottom of my bed and we like this can't really we need to sort this out and mm. we got a studio with two other guys that Cole had been talking to um a guy called Johnny and this guy called Aidy uh, who became sort of very close friends of ours and all four of us managed to get a studio together and that's where it like really took off because Johnny who was a very accomplished and still is a photographer at the time was fascinated by what Cole was doing to sort of segue into that he dropped photography and just helped him with the brand and him coming on board elevated it. You know, we started making the clothes in the UK and, and, and dyeing them all in the UK and the brand just grew and grew and grew. And mm. I, I sort of came on, I was obviously, I was doing sort of bits of ad hoc, just off the, off the book sort of thing as, as favours because, you know, uh, I love the guys deeply and I'd, I'd, you know, do anything for them, but I came on in 2020 properly, like, mm-hmm. and by that time, they, you know, they, they, started to get in place a brick and mortar shop in the centre of London in uh, Soho, which is a very sort of well-heeled, big shopping like district, beautiful sort of old part of London, but incredible sort of like foot traffic. And to have a shop there is a proper statement. It's like opening up a store in sort of Fifth Avenue in the States. It's like a big, big deal. So yeah, and then we have just been working together for a long, long time. You know, I've known him for over 10, well, 10 years. Uh, yeah, I was trying to get a piece of the last launch that you uh, that you were a big part of. I think they're trying to actually do drops more in line with like 
Eastern time and, and Central yeah. Mountain and all the crazy time zones you guys have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because that's our second biggest base after the UK consumers. Mm. Um, yeah. Those teas were a mission. Like, when I tell you they were difficult, it's, they were all hand printed by myself and uh, with a couple of friends helping. But each tea's got half an hour to do. Mm. And bear in mind, a normal screen print takes 20 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds. This is half an hour each. Mm. There's about 126 of them. So wow. we pulled like a couple of all nighters and it was just a mission. I hated it at times. Yeah. Not through like any fault of the brand. It was just through like, this is not what I want to be doing. How'd that project start? Um, they wanted to sort of touch upon their like gym heritage, but in a, in a sort of, as I said, they were inspired by like the 60s and 70s sort of bodybuilding. And I had the idea to look rather than look at sort of traditional the sort of bodybuilding we know, go back even further and look at this sort of inception of these of these sports, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Olympics birthplace was marathon in Greece, uh, you know, thousands of years ago and the same can be said for a lot of these like calisthenics and lifting and a lot of these sports and sort of athletic disciplines we do today was was born of 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 persia so sort of modern day iran mm. uh in these temples that were called zakanas which is what the project is called but they weren't just it's not really just practice physical strength and such they, they were centers for sort of arts and, and literature and music and, and discourse and debate and for me, when I came across them a few years ago, I came across the whole idea of them actually about three years ago, but brought it back for the, for the brand this year. And they, they just seemed sort of perfect fit for the sort of little group of friends that we had around us because we always had something different, brought different disciplines to the table. We loved like sport, but we also had like a little like book club with three of us. And it was like, yeah, we just, we just sort of seemed to embody all those sort of tenets. It seemed like a natural fit. And we've, we had a friend of ours who has a, has a beautiful sort of Persian restaurant in London. And we found that culture incredibly beautiful and, and inspiring with the greatest of sensitivities wanted to do a project around it. That's what yeah. I said, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it seems like you have a very cool tribe around you. Yeah. How, how does that influence work for you? Because everything you do seems like, for lack of a better word, is on brand of who you yeah, are. Yeah, I think it's, we, we're never trying, I don't think we're ever trying to like, be performative with it. it just I'm, we're just very lucky like the, all the boys do some very cool things and um it's not like directly influential my work but having that sort of support network around me is, is super important like i said at the very beginning going back to what i find fascinating about sort of storytelling and narrative those sort of figures gather around a fire and there's something nicely ancestral about that and, and I, li- I like it. it helps me a great deal yeah uh i'm gonna shoot you some questions that i was going to try to the beginning for icebreakers just to see what you think right? yeah, yeah yeah we'll do them now all right so your house containing everything you own catches fire after yeah. saving your loved ones and your pets you have time to safely make a final dash to save any one item right what would it be and why <laughs> i don't really have there's a, there's a there's an oil painting i did my first oil painting i do have in my bedroom right now which i love uh, i might try and grab that Mm. or there's a new pair of boots I just got, which I love. <laughs> from where? From our legacy. Oh, okay. These Cuban heroes, they're beautiful. Um, but that's super shallow. I don't know, maybe the painting, the painting or yes. some books. I got some, there's a, the book I mentioned earlier, 
the women yeah. who run with the wolves was yeah. super super important to me and there's a bell hooks book called um the world to change about men masculinity and love which was mm-hmm. super impactful on my life like completely changed some of my ways of thinking so i'll probably try and grab a couple of them and the mm-hmm. boots have you read the book uh the war on art i think it's called no but i know of it i haven't read yeah. it I bought it. I haven't read it yet either, but I was wondering if you had read that. I've got like three or four books I've stupidly started and I'm sort of different stage with more and it's just like a nightmare. We saw this, <laughs> we saw this little book club, but we could never agree on the book in the end. We did like yeah. three books together. The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera, which is a beautiful, beautiful novel. We did A Woman Looking at Men Looking at Women by Siri Hutzfeld, mm. which is a crazy interesting, interesting. book about uh, psychology, the mind, and art, mm. which I couldn't recommend highly enough. Okay. We did Letters to a Young Poet, which was by Rainer Rilke, which is probably my favorite, one of my favorite books I've read. It's tiny, but it's just a correspondence between him and a young poet. And it sort of speaks volumes on well beyond, it's like 60, 70 pages long, but it speaks volumes on, on confidence and, and, and a sort of finding your place as an artist. It was a crazy. Mm. Um, what else did we do? We did one on Moss, I think, but after that, we just gave up. <laughs> um, are you a writer as well? Do you, or even if just for yourself, do you journal or anything? Yeah, like I, I, I do write in my studio, but again, it's like I'll never show on the writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like very personal. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's a few like love letters in there somewhere. Oh, <laughs> unrequited love, but yeah, 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 it's your process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the piece that you mentioned that you take, is it, is it just, what would be, why is the reason for that one specifically? Is it a story there? I think it just was the first, I, I, as I said, I never really learned oil painting at school, which is a shame. I didn't take it at the university, which again, a deep regret of mine. And, um, but I just, it was sort of self-portrait. And I, I just think I captured my, my sort of fit, sense of positioning a space quite well. Like who I was in that moment, I think I captured well. I'll try and find a picture, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'd love to see it. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it across. All right, our next question. If you were to die this evening with no way of communicating with anyone, I know, knock on wood, uh, what would be the thing you would regret not telling someone before you die? And what would it be? <laughs> it would definitely be that I loved someone 100%. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, because I've never really had that. So it's, it's like, I think it's... Uh, it is a driving force behind a lot of my like thinkings on my work and ruminations on work and, and writing and yeah i'm a sucker for romantic love i think mm. it's sick i think it's very underrated i don't know if this is happening currently but do you still f- make it a, a point to try to communicate that oh absolutely not the opposite no <laughs> oh, okay yes that's that's it's going to the grave dude because i so i had to, i did that last year and so that's why I asked. I wasn't really given the opportunity to, to say it. And I've been trying to meet with this person and it just didn't, it was, there was nothing. And then the pandemic happened. I, like I was going through it, bro. <laughs> and so when I, when I was going through it, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write this down, send it off. And I am fine with whatever option I get. If You're I hear from them. Or <laughs> and, uh, but the reason being was because I'm like, I don't want to die and be like, I never got to say this. I don't care yeah. if they don't, if they respond back to me, but I was like, I'm going to do it. It took so much to do it, but I did it. Have you had 
moments like that where you weren't given the opportunity or does that happen to you? I don't think I've had moments like that, but I've definitely, I've, I should have given myself the opportunity to be more honest and not been afraid of the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, because there's definitely times where I could have done it and I generally would be like, okay, with whatever outcome. Yeah. They'd be like, I'm sure it'd be crushing moments or <laughs> if it went south, but like, yeah, no, I think yeah, I've never really, I've never really given myself that opportunity. Do you, I definitely had it, but I've never given it to myself. Do you actively try to do that in your life now, or is it still something you struggle with? Oh, I struggle with it every day, yeah. Yeah? I'm not honest. Or, <laughs> yeah. I used to be a lot more, like, forthright in, my, in what I tell people. What, would you like to be famous? No, not really, no. no. It's not, if, if it happens, it happens. But it's not something I'd ever chase, because you just lose a huge sense of independence of Mm-hmm. like it's it's mad when you when you really sit back and think about what your favorite like athlete or or film you know producer or actor whatever it might be has to go through mm-hmm. it's just it's just stressful like you couldn't ever really do anything spontaneously mm-hmm. i couldn't say to you let's just go go out some food because the, the, there'd be like mm-hmm. fans or something might i don't know depending on the, the notoriety either us held we might have to get security and it would just be a nightmare if I manage to sort of move my work in the, in the future into into exhibitions and collections and with collectors I, I liked, and if I got notoriety of that and I could just paint for myself, then yeah, I think that would be quite a nice level to attain, but nothing more than that. Have you had to have conversations where like things can propel you forward and, and that means maybe sacrificing some of that independence? Not really, no. No? Okay, so like what... No, what, I've never had to make that sacrifice. No. Well, no, not, not to make not to make sacrifices, but were there was there an instance, is that why you don't kind of like the, maybe the commercial, that part of it where it becomes bigger than you, where because oh, see, of how... Um, yeah. Well, well, where does my sort of like objection with it come from? Mm-hmm. I just see it as a bit of a betrayal of my work, I guess. I just see it as um, a lack of sincerity. Okay. Because I think when, especially when I gift most of my work I've, that's out there would have been given to me to, to close friends and family and that there needs to be a connection that I need to have a sort of fundamental understanding with them and of them and, and, and vice versa if my work was out everywhere and it was which is sort of like I think is a bit there's an element of sort of me gaping my own work but I just need to have a I need to love my work really way more than I do at the moment I, I loathe a lot of my work vast majority so yeah, I need to get to a better space with it. Yeah. If there was something you would want people to understand about creatives, what would that be? Oh, you don't have to be as pretentious as you might think. That <laughs> that shit doesn't stick or anything. Yeah. <laughs> the whole starving artist is, is shtick is, is not it. It's fundamentally not conducive to good. It's not good practice, I don't think, at all. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's so much, so many artists that do great work that you don't even hear about. That are not yeah. struggling or, or suffering. I mean, like, there was, uh, who was it? I think who was it? It was one of Van Gogh's peers, but he ended up, I think he died of some venereal disease, but he ended up paying for his last meal with paintings. And I was like, mm. it sounds kind of cool, but at the same time, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like the idea. I don't that. want to die of syphilis having to pay for my food <laughs> with like a painting. Like, oh, that's not no. cool. yeah. So let's round out with this. What would constitute a perfect day for you? Cost you a perfect day. Um, good weather has to be good weather for sure. I think start with start with being active for sure. So it has to be like 
ideally swimming like doors like open sea swimming or or yeah something aerobic like a nice swim or like a yoga flow or something good food is always gonna be the, the mm. heart of a perfect day <laughs> pastries that's my Achilles heel pastries for sure <laughs> uh i'd paint for a good company mm. either friends or i don't know a girlfriend or a partner like a little siesta maybe in the daytime mm-hmm. nice little walk a little siesta and then something to share like i mentioned my friend's restaurant in soho uh which is like persian cuisine so it's like lots of little like labna and hummus and lots of like sharing dishes and breads mm. um like uh meat from the spit and stuff which is beautifully like fragrant and you know incredibly well sort of perfumed and cooked and yeah something okay. nice like that that's that's the perfect day i think yeah so what's what's next for you creatively and where are you heading slowly building up a body of work that i'm relatively proud of or, or, mm. or like enough to show it i wouldn't ever say i like it like it but uh this might be a personal question but it's also uh, like a very fleeting question are you happy um yeah i'm all right yeah i wouldn't say i'm like over the moon <laughs> wouldn't say i'm too sad <laughs> like what's happening yeah to I'm, you? I'm okay i'm okay i'm just uh frustrated with with a few uh stress makes me very like, unhappy you know, a project that i did for the boys was stressful mm-hmm. through no fault of anyone but my own it was i was asking myself a lot but yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got a roof over my head. I've got good friends. I can buy, you know, I can afford my food, my bills. Um, so I've got a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. So yeah, I'm happy in that respect. Again, I don't know you, but I, I feel like I can sense how it took a lot out of you. You have like a tired kind of vibe aura that I see. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, yeah, I'm always a little, I'm probably a little like reserved yeah. at times. I, don't, I could be wrong. You're I've like, never done like anything like this before. This format's like very new to me. Even oh. Zoom, I've never used Zoom. Like, no, me neither. When I started well, doing like twice, these. but I was always on a call with someone, so <laughs> I was like, I was like, I had my hand held the whole time. No, I mean, I'm the same way. Even starting this podcast, I never started one before, and I just like, I've had but to no, learn all that. A, I think it's a lovely idea. I, I, I will go back and this week I'll go back and listen to the episodes. Um, but yeah, but I think that's why I kind of also like your work. Or weirdly enough connected with some of with you because there's there wasn't a lot to find about you but your work spoke a lot more and that's why i was like i want to talk to hector yeah i'd, I'd rather my work did the, did the, did the sort of communicate yeah yeah, so it's, just sit back. <laughs> yeah it's working <laughs> thank you so, yeah so it's great um how can people find you or if you want to be found with your work or i guess if they if, if, if they seriously want to look at the work of the instagram is the one to do okay not like that's not like a plug but that is the only way because my website i don't have up at the moment i'm always happy to speak to people um if they direct message me or anything so i always say to myself i want to do my best to be like really like open and as honest as i can and as friendly and accommodating as i can because it can really help people like people might be in a, in a difficult space themselves and they just might need to just hear from someone they Mm-hmm. I don't know why anyone would, but someone they look up to. I don't know why they look up to me, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's um, yeah. But so yeah, that's the best way. I, there's no other like channels I really use. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate that you responded back, bro. I was always happy to speak. No, I'm glad we got to do it now. Yeah. If, if you know, after this, if you want to schedule another one, I'm always happy to sort of talk. Yeah. More. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, anytime, bro. Anytime, honestly. And if I go to London, let's get a workout in or something. If you're in London, <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get a little workout. We'll do some food. We'll do some bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but I think that's all for me. Thank you for coming. No, mate, anytime, bro. Honestly, it's a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, yeah, I hope I was a good guest. <laughs> you are, you are, you are. We'll get there. This could be like an icebreaker for us. Because yeah, I would love to, yeah, because I would love to hear just your thoughts on different things within that world or even other things. You definitely have to keep me posted on all your jobs. I'd love to listen to them all, so yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep Thanks. me the loop, man. All right. Well, I won't take any more of your time. All right. So you can eat and good, <laughs> have, an, have an evening for yourself. But yeah, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll drop your message. All right, Hector, man. I appreciate it. It was it. a pleasure, bro. All my have best. Later. Ciao. Thank you for listening to today's episode of This Undefined. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Share the voice. And if you want more content to explore, as well as follow other projects we're working on, go to the website at www.thekilosproject.com and follow us on Instagram at The Kilos Project. Till next time, train, recover, create.